thank you everybody for being here. Um, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Um, this is the third Canvas Town Hall. These are meant to bring everyone in our community together for a conversation on collaboration, the future of fashion, and obviously the, uh, the strange moment that we're currently living in. Um, the first two have been amazing conversations with some very interesting people and businesses, and I think this one will be no different. Um, we have Fab Scrap, Clandestina, Minus Us, and Amalia Mir calling in from all over the world um, for a conversation on upcycling that I feel is uh, especially important in this moment as the world tries to figure out sort of where we go from here um, in terms of supply chains and, and the fashion system overall. Uh, so just a quick few notes before we get started. Um, this conversation will be recorded. Um, we're going to ask everyone to please mute your microphones if you're not presenting, but once we go into the Q&A, everyone should feel free to turn those on for a free-flowing conversation. Um, so before we jump in, we're going to do a quick intro from the Canvas team. Uh, Steph is going to lead us off from Antwerp uh, with some exciting news. So Steph, please. Uh, first of all, hello everybody. Very excited to uh, lead in this third town hall meeting. Uh, like Devin said, the previous two ones were uh, really exciting to be part of. Um, for those who don't know, I'm director of operations for the Canvas and manager um, of the Antwerp store. And, oh, sorry. <laughs> um, a project that we've been working on is our very own Canvas podcast. And the first one will be released uh, later today, more towards the evening for those in the US. First podcast is with uh, Frederick van Grotel, who is an artist, a local artist here in Antwerp. And we're discussing um, his life, his work, uh, Dualidade, which is a photography book about the uh, class differences in Brazil. Um, so very exciting to be releasing that later on today. Uh, this is something that we're gonna do with most of our, well, probably all our brands, all our partners and people who are working with the canvas, um, which enables us to tell all your stories, uh, which are so uh, amazing. And we wanna really communicate it thoroughly to everybody who comes and visits the canvas. So yeah, thank you. Thanks, Steph. Bri? Hi, my name is Brianna. I'm the inventory manager at the canvas. Um, I'm really excited for this town hall, um, I think, a lot of the designers that we brought onto the canvas do a lot of upcycling, so I think it'll bring a new, fresh perspective on that topic. So, yeah. Hi, my name is Jess. Um, I'm the marketing manager here at the canvas. I'm super excited for today's discussion. Hi, I'm Kate. It's so nice to see you all. Uh, I am the designer of our in-house brand, Carencia Studio and also the manager of the Canvas Williamsburg. Hello, everyone. I'm Tegan. I'm super excited for this to see some friends that we haven't seen in a while and, and to hear all about what you guys are doing and how everyone's doing right now. So super excited to get started. Thanks, So our first guest today is Jessica Schreiber from FabScrap. Jess. Um, we go way back. I think we were the first, uh, we were the first, FabScrap was the first fabric provider for Currency Studio as we uh, got started. And you guys have been amazing supporters and just 
I would say mentors throughout throughout this journey for us. So we we really appreciate appreciate that. Um, we hope that you're doing well, and you're going to lead us off with these uh, four questions here. Where are you, and how are you, how are you doing in this strange time? Um, what do you do? What is FabScrap, and how do you do it? Um, predictions for the future of upcycling and your practice, and then any collaborative ideas you have for the Canvas community at this time. Uh, cool. So with that, Jess, please. Okay. Um, good morning, everyone. Uh, thanks, Devin, for that nice intro. Um, I am calling in from Manhattan um, in New York in the U.S. Um, I have good days and bad days. I think that's probably the same for everybody. Um, I spend a lot of time tending to a new plant situation in my apartment and trying to bring the outdoors indoors. Um, so I have a lot of plants. And I've been um, giving them maybe more attention and water than they need because what else do we have to do? Um, I also recently got an electric scooter. So that's how I've been choosing to get around the city without public transit. And so, um, yeah, the adventures on the scooter have been interesting. Um, weird to see the city so empty in some places. Um, I go through Times Square to get down to the Fab Scrap shop. Um, and it's, a ghost town and so in some ways this doesn't feel like the New York that I know um, but in other ways like the 7 p.m. cheer that we do for essential workers very much feels like the reason I'm in New York and love it here um, so good and bad um, about Fab Scrap um, Fab Scrap is almost four years old now we're a nonprofit based in New York City and we work with designers, um, fashion designers, interior designers, costume designers to um, recover textile waste and then redistribute it and recycle it. So we're working with almost 500 brands now. Um, and those are really big names, couture brands, all the way down to small independent designers and home sewers. And we collect all of the excess or unwanted or scrap fabric and bring it to our warehouse in Brooklyn. Um, where we work with volunteers to sort it all. If it's reusable, which that is a very subjective term I've learned, for us reusable means one yard or more. Um, if it's reusable, we make it available for volunteers to take home for free or for shoppers to come to the warehouse or our new shop to purchase. Um, and if it's not reusable, so really small pieces, they get shredded and become insulation or carpet padding or mattress stuffing. And so we're really trying to take all this excess from really big companies and redistribute so that those resources and materials can extend their useful life. Um, we passed our half a million pounds saved from landfill in January of this year. Um, so yeah, it's, it's grown really quickly um, in a short amount of time. We've had over 5,000 people come and volunteer and take home some fabric for free. The shop opened last summer. Um, we're coming up on its one year anniversary, June 1st. Um, and that is right near FIT and near Parsons in the Garment District of New York City so that students and artists and crafters can more easily access all of this safe from landfill material. Um, and the final part of what we do is keep very meticulous data on all of that so that we can let brands know how much they're diverting from landfill, what their CO2 savings are, the equivalent trees planted, but also because commercial waste, and for us specifically commercial textile waste, isn't traditionally something that's been measured or very well regulated. And so for us, this is the first time that 
there's some quantity and character um, in the data around commercial textile waste. And we're trying to bring light to those problems in how um, that disposal happens and the potential opportunities in that space. Um, during this, we've pivoted a little bit. We're not doing pickups from our brand partners. Um, and we can't have volunteers at the warehouse and our shops are not open. So we really pushed more to our online store. And we've started doing digital events every week. Um, every Tuesday at 5.30, we do a workshop where we have a small stipend for someone from our creative community to teach a new skill. Um, and those are free. Uh, we appreciate a donation from attendees, but those are free. And we've been doing those for the last two months and we'll continue those through June. Um, so trying to keep the creative community in this space together and informed and provide a little bit of work and income for crafters who are now kind of shut out. Um, predictions for the future. Um, I've been really encouraged by um, how much fabric has been requested from us in the last couple months. I think a lot of people, instead of buying masks, they're making their own. And I think that's a really positive trend of like, maybe a mask is a small project, but then it encourages people to be more ambitious and creative and make more of their own items, whether that's a pillowcase or a curtain or a shirt or something um, more complex. So I think on an individual level, upcycling and circularity, um, I've been encouraged by people moving towards the DIY in that space. Um, unfortunately, I've seen a lot of declarations of bankruptcy um, in the fashion space over the last couple of weeks. Um, I actually anticipate that that means we're going to be very busy <laughs> because as companies kind of shift and evolve, I think there's going to be a lot of purging of resources and fabric and storage closets and um, sample pieces. And so I think we're going to see a lot of that and hopefully in the shift to a new normal, that stuff isn't just disposed or burned, but instead put back into a circular system where it can be accessed and utilized by someone else and smaller independent makers. So um, good and bad there too. Um, but I think, I think the shift um, towards smaller and more purposeful and more personally creative is a positive one. Um, and so collaboration ideas, um, definitely if anybody needs fabric, <laughs> we have fabric still. Um, and I think we wanna see it go to good uses. Um, so if anybody needs fabric, definitely drop me a line. Also, if there is somebody who has a creative skill um, that people can do from home and is teachable in an hour, hour and a half, we're always looking for instructors for our digital workshops. Um, and it's a good way to kind of share your work and ideas with a new group of people. Um, so yeah, I think there's still lots of potential collaboration. And as we reopen, um, we'll keep everyone updated about when we can start having volunteers back in the space. Awesome, thank you, Jess. And thank you for um, providing us with the fabric for the Earth Suit Mask. That was super helpful and um, of course. now in process. So great. I think that's a great segue into our next guest from Clandestina. Um, Idanya and Lede walked into our warehouse uh, last summer, uh, skeptical of Brooklyn, 
uh, versus Manhattan. I think Manhattan is, you know, Manhattan is New York City uh, to too many people. Um, but Brooklyn, you know, we, we felt like we had something there. And we, we, we did our best to pitch them on this being the best, best location for their incoming pop-up. Um, actually, I'm in New York with Google Cuba. And uh, I think it took a few weeks to get them around to it. Um, but we were very happy that you guys decided to go with Brooklyn and, and with the Canvas. Um, and since then, it's been a, an amazing partnership and friendship. Uh, we were down in Havana in November for their amazing runway show uh, that I'll let them get into. But thank you guys for, for being here. I hope all is well in Cuba. And please um, tell us what's up and what's new. Well, first of all, um, we weren't that skeptical. We knew that Brooklyn was like a very, you know, um, tune-up place with our, with our design and our brand. So just wanted to say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, hello, everybody from Havana. Um, we're in quarantine as the rest of the world. Yes. Uh, Cuba is a really special place. So there is a special control by the state and by the policemen and military. So we're really in our houses. It's really difficult to go out. So basically uh, here the discipline is really high. And so apparently the disease is really under control and the COVID is really under control and the numbers of the new like cases is really low. But still, we cannot do many things. And there is many restrictions on everything. And we, we sat down the store like really at the beginning of the, of the pandemic, even when the state uh, keep, I mean, keep open the borders and everything, because we were really worried about, about our staff. We have 35 people. So for us, the most important thing was the staff and our community. And so what we are doing is trying to keep the salary of everybody. Because here the life is not really easy to find a way to buy food and, you know, these kind of things. The people, they have no many incomes. So we've been fighting since the beginning of the pandemic to find the way how we can keep producing and keep selling and pay the salary for, of everybody. So we put in place few strategies. The first one was to open like clandestina in casa, clandestina at home in Havana. We were really skeptical because here in Cuba, no one is buying on Amazon or in any e-commerce because there is not any culture on this. So suddenly, you know, is like always a miracle and suddenly we are doing very well and then our community is buying the stuff and we are increasing increasing all our, our sales so we also thinking about community we we thought like as we have a huge community in Havana we need to uh, show them like we are moving the things they are moving we are not stuck you are not home and nothing is going on you know to send them like a good, a positive message about like, not the future, but also the, the, the now, the today. And we've been designing more than ever. We are launching more than ever like teasers and products and 
So we've been working more than ever. This is the truth. <laughs> and we've been like uh, launching really things about content. Like we do a podcast, kind of podcast. It's not a real podcast because in Cuba we have no like um, good internet, but we're doing like voicemail or WhatsApp. WhatsApp. And it's about like the people, they are really, I don't know, crazy about the quarantine and also about like other things like, I don't know, food, water, love, whatever. So it's like kind of keep people like in a good mood. This is essentially what we're trying to do here in Cuba. And, um, and what else? Like, are we being like trying to, to do masks? and for free for our community and also we get some contract from the state like big companies to keep our uh, workshops like um working so basically we're trying to survive which is the normally the way of what <laughs> we think and we do um and i don't know um Jutor. well um um just to add a few things about what we are doing and how we are doing it. Um, Leire and our car has become a sort of a delivery boy. So <laughs> uh, we are actually, you know, uh, getting the things to everybody around Havana. And it's, it's really interesting because we get to know, you know, all the tissues of, of the city, every kind of people, how do they live, where do they live, and we get to see their faces and, and you know, how they feel about uh, this very new thing that is buying online in Havana, which is basically, I would say a boom, like, uh, like a month ago, and it's very new for people here to, to actually buy online and that's um, I don't know has been really interesting how fast and, and, and how excited people are to, to do that to buy online and um, our predictions for the future um, of course we have been like everybody thinking a lot about what we are doing, why we are doing it, and how we can change and how we can keep the good things and, and get rid of, you know, all those bad habits and, and bad uh, processes and bad practices. And um, it's very confusing because we have, of course, to you know, to keep up and, and we have to produce and we have to make money and we have to pay salaries. It's not like we can farm, but um, we have a very interesting background and a very interesting context because this is still Cuba. So we have a huge opportunity to create something that is um, very aligned with uh, how the future must be. So I think that uh, our best shot is to, to keep, you know, all of our 
of cyclic lines. We are waiting for um, we are waiting for um, a big cargo to stop. It's, it's stop at the customs, but we are waiting for everything to open up to release that and start working with those materials. This is basically second hand from Miami. So we have uh, almost a ton of clothing there that we are going to repurpose and, and refurbish. And I mean, it's like a, it's a huge project and we are super excited about it because this is like the first time we actually have something to work with and it's amazing. So um, uh, for us here, the major challenges are going to be how to support our community of designers and how to build um, like um, more a community of, of designers than only uh, our own brand. So we have a few ideas um, we were thinking about uh, this big project to gather all Cuban designers and I mean uh, as much as we can and try to create distribution channels and production channels to um, well channel the their work and their production and um, because we think uh, one of our biggest you know reflection is that we can't actually uh, you know, be the brand or the only brand. We need. We really need to to push the sector, especially because uh, Cuban designers have great values. Everybody is like very aligned into the same thing, which is uh, reuse and rethink and 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 be ethical and and. Um, we have, I mean, we have been really lucky uh, of meeting people, uh, of meeting uh, you guys from Canvas and, and having this great connection with you and having uh, other friends in New York that are really interesting people and they are doing great things. So we, 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 are, tr we are going to use that to to you know, try to to put Cuban design into the world. That was actually the feeling we had when we were in Brooklyn. Uh, that we were for the first time showing the world what we were doing, and it felt amazing. People responded really great. So we want to do that for for everybody else uh, here in Havana, no? To try to to bring this uh, feeling to them too. So um, those are our uh, collaboration ideas. Uh, those are our plans for the future. And I don't know, later, do you want to add something? No, 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 if basically. I can, if I can just say a few things, guys, I, I will never forget when we pulled up to the after party for the show. <laughs> I mean, it's an understatement. You guys have built a community in, in Havana and around the world, really. But in Havana, there were 4,000 people trying to get into an abandoned warehouse to celebrate the show that you just put on. It was unlike anything I have ever seen outside of a venue. Kate and Pete, I don't know about you guys, but that, that was out of control. Yeah. Um, 
And I, think I almost really... got attacked for my wristband when right. I went to the bathroom. Yeah. It was insane. <laughs> um, so you guys have built that community in Havana when it comes to designers and, and locals. Um, can you just briefly touch on what clandestina means and how you, how you started and this idea of upcycling and reuse being not something that you're choosing to do, but a necessity? Uh, oh, we clandestina means to be like a clandestine, so people way, maybe it's to do this, the things in a different way, to be more like, uh, to react, to be more like conscious more like a combat, like a, you know, it's an action to be clandestine in any ways. And when we opened in 2015, there were no any brand, independent brand in Cuba, only the state been doing like Che Guevara t-shirts. So now it's a, it's a different landscape. There, there are many other brands fighting to and trying to get like um, a brand and trying to get a community and we build our community no one i mean was buying any fashion brand in cuba and we grow together the brand and the community which is really interesting and in terms of like production and the brand itself we are really connected and aligned with the social like values of the of the cuba you know like revolution and there are bad things but there are really good things in terms of human way of thinking and, and collaboration of how they understand the lives and the values of living and we are catching these values and trying to get into our collections and then comes upcycling. No, we don't, we don't do upcycling because it's trending. We do because we have no another way to produce because we have no like we cannot buy things. There is no like normal store where you can buy things. So uh, we produce, but we can, and we think in, in, in a very different way. The designers they do is in a different way, you know? So you think a different way. And I think in this pandemia, in this world, the people who are really, the, the mind they have this set up really the different way is the people they're going to be really, uh, in a good position to understand what is going on after the pandemic. And, um, and I think the Cubans are really in this mood, you know, like, okay, never give up. I understand this is not the way, like, let's find another one. So I think there are the values of Palestine and, and how, I don't know if you have an answer. I think, I think we have, uh, we have been, uh, I don't know, trained or raised somehow into uh, many, many ended roads. It's like you go and it's an ended road and then you change and it's an ended road. And I think the most important thing is that we are not afraid of that. It's like uh, you just change your focus. And we do this like in daily basis. So. It's, it's uh, scary, but it's, it's possible, you know, and we, we have, we have to be, we have to, we have to reuse things because there is no other way for us. We can't really choose. So it's, um, 
that's why we say it's out of necessity and it's not it's not only it's not only a philosophical decision it's it's a it's an economic model thank you guys yeah so on that theme of uh on that theme of creative ecosystems and collaboration with artists um johan what you've done with minus us is, is very similar only in brooklyn um minus us is essentially a, a collaborative and upcycling brand that works with artists a, a new artist every month um and minus us continues to be a, a favorite of guests at the canvas williamsburg um and and johan you're helping us bring to life soon to be open uh, canvas bowery so um, thank you for coming on and uh, please tell us what's up and how you're doing. Yeah, of course. Uh, what's up shouldn't reflect my name on Zoom. This is actually my girlfriend's account. So if you see Reese Shebel flash, it's, it's obviously a mistake. I didn't have time to switch the accounts. But that shouldn't reflect how we're doing here in um, Crown Heights, Brooklyn. Um, the community has really banded together and has really put awareness into the shutdown and I'm sorry, the lockdown and uh, just really abided by the rules, but you can still feel a sense of creative energy and optimism. And as our friends from Cuba shared that this time is just change and it's just uh, refocusing and recalibrating during this time with the team. Um, and our focus, just because we were in the middle of a collection and obviously we were in the middle of our Bowery endeavor and opening up that store um, and, and things were, were going fantastic and the ball was rolling, but now the, the change has uh, shifted, uh, or the focus has shifted to collaboration on a virtual level with our artists and sourcing the materials and uh, on, on, a, on more of a, of a virtual manner. And I feel like that's, that's since we can't thrift anymore and, um, in um, brick and mortar stores, then our, our attention shifts to peer-to-peer uh, -peer platforms and the online market. But with all that being said, um, our team has really responded in a, in a timely fashion. And as our friends from Cuba shared, the, uh, the e-commerce business for Vintage is doing really well right now. And um, I don't believe that's because of COVID. I believe that's just because I feel like the fruit is really starting to, to um bloom here and I feel like that's 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 uh that goes a lot to say uh as to how far the upcycle community has really taken this this economy of scale which is um thrifting and upcycling clothing but that's that's here on the home front um so as like I touched on we're adapting virtually and uh we're getting all of our collections in for the month and oh, let me take a couple steps back in terms of what we do. So Minus Us started as a vintage store and we, our focus was to curate a rack of 50 pieces that we believe had the truest and most potential and uh, without embellishing it, without reworking it yet. So that was at its genesis. We're into two years, we're coming up on two years of the company and now we, our collections consist of uh, thrifted pieces, samples, uh, dead stock, and 90, 80 to 90% of those pieces are, are reworked or designed on or, or met with uh, some type of embellishment to help bring the garments some new life and uh, new value. 
and collaborating with artists is essentially giving them a canvas to design on to um, really bring a new perspective to those garments and really bring the most cohesive rack of clothing and not only a rack but a store uh, to life that has that's very design focused and not so much on labels but just really focused on uh, the artist's craft so th that's really how we started off I don't have any proper training designer uh, neither does my partner Reese we started thrifting and success grew from there and uh, the reworking got introduced to me through um, Epson and the digital technology of, of, of digital printing on garments, which saves ink in the process, as opposed to screen printing that, that wastes some ink at the end. Digital printing on garments does not waste any, any ink. So marrying uh, those two concepts really brought to life minus us. Um, and the circularity, the upcycling factor of it really came together when other artists could, could put together a collection of 25 to 50 pieces of thrifted items and they envision these pieces in a certain way and we take these pieces apart, we stitch them back together, we, we fit their vision together in, in the best way that we can and every piece we teach, we treat as an art project as opposed to creating a new collection with this consistent vision every, every time, but looking at each piece as its own piece of value and, and with, the primarily focus, with the primary focus to bring it to new life and bring it to, uh, to just a different life form and just giving it to the community and uh, just reusing it to its fullest extent. And extending the livelihood of garments is, is really top of mind for us. It's at the core of our business model in terms of having uh, vintage pieces and and not only vintage pieces but clothing all over the world that's not being used we re we really now more than ever want to look at these products um that because the, the level of dead stock in this generation that thrifts more and more has just been growing online uh of course in the brick and mortar space but we see the trend the uptake of just thrifting going through the roof especially during uh the lockdown period but moving forward this gener this gen z is more focused on thrifting and our goal with minus us was to take the stigma away from thrifting to our to the pad the prior generations and really bring to the for forefront that uh, collections can be built on purely uh reused clothing and um and vintage clothing and uh that's that's been our primary focus in these last two years and that's what we try to shed some light on um what we're working on now is in our practice is bringing these statistics to life because i i, I am a econ nerd so i want to bring well, Johan, just just to interrupt i i think it would be good to go into um a little more background about that you're coming from wall street you're an analyst and everything you just said and the insights that you have this is uh you wouldn't usually hear that from a Wall Street analyst. So can you can you tell us a little bit about that transition and why you saw this opportunity here? I think a lot of this, you know, people want to start businesses in this area and they want them to be not just environmentally sustainable, but financially sustainable. And I think you bring a great insight to that. Right. Um, I feel uh, as, as an analyst on, well, it's, it's, it's twofold. I feel like on that side of the desk, I couldn't impact the world the way uh, you guys are doing 
or the way that that sustainable designers are 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 on the verge of, of accomplishing or have accomplished i felt that from my seat as an analyst i couldn't really move the needle or even influence anyone with with uh investing in product i wanted to dabble in the arts at the same time and i was getting frustrated by my career and i saw an opportunity in the sustainable space because bringing together curating a vintage collection is easier than starting your own brand if you're starting from zero and if you have success selling 10 of those 50 pieces or, or even five of those pieces and you build the clientele and you get the ball rolling i feel that you already have you already set up for success just because you already have people's attention and the better you get at it the easier it becomes and what i mean by that it's it, i encourage everyone if they want to start a clothing company if they want to start a business I encourage you to push out 10 products, 10 pieces, one product uh, immediately, just the product being the brand, but it, it, you fail quicker. And that's on the investment side, that's, that's, that's what every analyst or every VC wants uh, startups or even brands to do is just to fail as quickly as possible. And if you don't, then you swim and then you, you could have a 30 year career. And that's really the approach that I took was, I wanted to make an impact I felt like uh, recent I, my partner had an eye for, for thrifting because we did it already. All, all of you on this call have an act for thrifting just because you're artists. So that's my bet on with the company is we can bring uh, minds together and really put out one of the put, put out collections as the luxury brands do just because these vintage pieces are, are the ones that are sought out for the most in this generation. And I feel like Tying, tying all that together, um, it, makes for, um, it makes for a very cohesive, very collaborative space. And that's really what I wanted to be in the business of is that collaboration factor and impacting people's lives. Because a, a lot of, if you go into a thrift store, a lot of times you seem to be overwhelmed with the selections and we want to really narrow that down. And we really want to want our user, our clientele to be attached to the garment and how we do that is through design and art, and that's and that's what we've been doing for the for the past two years. So I, it's very fulfilling um, on, from from a business perspective, from an artist perspective. It's been one of the best journeys that I've been on, quite frankly, just to collaborate with painters and musicians and photographers and models because they all have something to say and um, expressing their artistic ability through a different medium. And I want to provide that platform. Um, and that's really where Minus Us kind of uh, uh, has taken has has taken this concept and really ran with it. And uh, yeah, I have nothing but good things to say about, about uh, the collaboration and how we're moving to a virtual platform and how it's easier for our collaborators to, to, to work together. And not only that, but during this time, I want to compensate as much artists as I can, just because they are, seem to be the ones uh, deeply impacted by by COVID. Um, with without an audience and without with all these virtual platforms and without with all these options, uh, some artists just get lost in the wind. And I really want to um, approach the next months to a year, uh, furthering those collaborations, uh, collaborating with more people a month, and just. Uh, just to enhance their voice and just to get, get it out there. And I feel like during this time, a lot of good art is gonna be produced and the team here is optimistic 
And this lockdown has been uh, more of just long design sessions, which I'm all for. And because honestly, that yoga and biking, I feel like those are like the trilogy for me. That's what's really all I'm into at the moment. But I feel like that's, it's, it had to come uh, in this manner just to move the needle even more for us, just to get, get off the ground a little bit more. So this time has really been uh, a solace for us uh, from the work perspective. Awesome. Thank you, Johan. Um, we're going to stay in Brooklyn for this next one. If anyone is familiar with uh, Like a Local Tours, they've definitely um, at least come across Amalia's work. Amalia both sort of represents and, and showcases um, the amazing businesses around Williamsburg and is also a designer uh, herself, zero waste, and often using Fab Scrap, Goodwill, Salvation Army uh, as resources. And again, one of, one, of a, uh, uh, one of our top designers at the Canvas Williamsburg. So um, Amalia, thank you for, for being here, for coming on. I hope all is well. It was good to talk to you uh, last week with Kate. Um, tell us how you are, what, what you're up to, and, uh, and what's new. Hi, everybody. Good morning. I'm here in Brooklyn, and everything is good. Sunny, finally. I think that as well as in Crown Heights, in Bed-Stuy, the energy is positive, and I've been turning towards my plants, like we spoke about, and just treating this as a little bit of an artist residency. I have stockpiled a great deal of secondhand thrifted yard sale find fabrics and have just been working through them steadily. Um, I think that this is an interesting time as we've all spoken about, but as far as my design, I'm just working around. I'll just show you some pieces. This is a jacket that is made of eyelet textile I saved from San Francisco Mime Troupe, actually. It's from a 70s archive. Here is a dress I'm working on out of sari silk that was given to me by someone went to India. And here is a vest I'm crocheting. All my pieces are made from textiles that came to me through life and people that I've connected with. So in that way, all my garments have a deep connection to me. And I think it's incredibly important to create something that doesn't exist yet. So working with all these fabrics that are secondhand, I am finding deep creativity working within parameters. And when the textiles that I am given or find do not really inspire me, I turn to a myriad of material fabrication manipulations like cyanotype printing, which is sun printing and hand-painted textiles, batiking and crochet. And the way I work mostly is making, when I have a large piece of fabric, large garments. And then with the scraps, I've developed a technique to drape on the mannequin and utilize the scraps. So really it's zero waste patterning when I do the flat pattern and then even further with the scraps. So here's a piece that is created with hand-painted textile and patches. So that was textiles I didn't have a large portion of and worked in the other, in the other direction. And as far as the tours, it's very interesting to me to build a community, you know, as we all were here and 
the more I work in the industry and the more I get my work out here, I connect with like-minded people, which is something I could have never dreamed up. And now I have the privilege of bringing customers to these small businesses and directing the traffic to where we really should be going. So in that way, I feel like this is an interesting time, but I think through things like this town hall and something else that I wanted to share with you guys, a block party that I've been invited to partake in on Sunday, Saturday actually, for Brooklyn-based and a few Manhattan-based businesses started by someone who was just saddened by the idea that these small businesses may have to go under because of the climate right now. So I thought that could be something interesting that we could do. I mean, we do this every week, which is an awesome thing for us to all connect, but maybe it would be great to expand this further and give a face to the brand, give a fabric to the name, you know, and give an insight to these pieces that we might otherwise have found in person, but now it's not possible. So. Thank you, Amalia. Um, just to start to weave everything we've heard together, uh, just to note, we have a few students here that are actually working on a capstone project themselves and, and looking to bring a collection focused on upcycling uh, to life and then also turn it into a, uh, a full business too. So um, I'd love to just do a rapid fire. Any advice you have for someone that is getting into this, especially given the current moment where it looks like supply chains will be significantly disrupted uh, for the foreseeable future. If a brand is going to be uh, sourcing from multiple locations, they do have to understand the risk that uh, there could be a shutdown at, at any moment and that could uh, severely disrupt uh, their operations. So I think, um, at least from our perspective, we're thinking that a lot of brands are going to be moving towards more localized supply chains. So now I think is a, is a great time to be focused on this. So Jess, if we could start with you, just from a fab scrap perspective, um, any advice you have for students coming into to the warehouse to volunteer? I'm sure they're going to want to check that out once, once all returns to normal. Um, yeah, I, it's hard. I feel like it's hard to give advice right now when I feel like I need so much advice for how to pivot and like continue things um, running when we don't really know what's ahead. Um, and so I think, I think that's part of it is just like doing what you can with what's available to you now. And then that's going to grow and change. Um, in terms of sourcing, I think there's some challenges in upcycling and reuse and the main one is that like what you have is what you have and you can't order more or get more particularly from fab scrap what we're getting is excess um, or unwanted fabric and i can't order more of that or ask the company to send more waste um, of the same exact type so i think it poses a different creative challenge in you work with what's there um, and maybe it becomes limited runs and it's not about making a thousand pieces of something to sell but about intentionally making a few that have more meaning and going deeper instead of more broad um, i think it's also as a student who's sort of entering the field um, i think being really informed about how companies are pivoting and what options exist um, as you start to intern and work with brands I think you have the benefit now of being in school and hearing all of these different ideas and having time to research. And when you go into a company, you can bring a really fresh perspective. Um, 
a significant number of brands who work with Fabscrap do so because an intern told them about this option and that the design team could recycle these scraps instead of just throw them away. And that creates a really big value for the company, but also shows your value as an intern in the company and your ability to think creatively and bring new ideas. Um, and so as informed as you can be um, about options and how things are changing and where there's opportunity really can set you apart. Um, I don't know if that totally answered the question, <laughs> but that those would be my ideas, I think, if I were if I were entering a new space now. Thank you, Jess. Idanya. Did you hear the question? I can repeat it. Any any advice for someone um, entering fashion right now, looking to create an upcycled brand? What would be your your thoughts for them? Um, I think um, it would be like um, in, in our context, it's like the same uh, mo, it's the same mindset. It's uh, just um, try to do whatever you can with whatever you have. Don't have a fixed idea on your mind. Try to be flexible. Try to be uh, open and. Um, always uh, always try to find um, an answer instead of a question because here we are always you know like solving problems which is exhausting sometimes but it's it's also it's a good way you know it's like uh, designers here are more problem solvers instead of um instead of different things so you have to be always outside your own head which is a very good practice in general um it's, it's a very tough time to to be a fashion designer because um uh, there's this feeling that well you have to you have to do things that are necessary and you have to but um, expression is always necessary. Um, you know, art creation is always necessary. So uh, try to channel that somehow in, and try to, to, to answer, to answer questions instead of asking so much. So, and be brave is, <laughs> I don't know, it's a tough moment, but it's also an interesting moment. Very um, insightful. So that's what I would say. Thank you. Johan? Uh, sure, I think the advice that I, that I can offer is that it, anybody going to a new field in, in this moment of period of time is, is starting on ground zero in terms of uh, it seems like every sector is kind of reworking itself into a new form and so they're going through a metamorphosis and I feel like as the students uh, research is key and I feel like being up to date on the newest cutting edge technology is, is I feel uh, something that you possess because you have the, the asset of time uh, that new companies would would want to hear now more than ever um, from 
uh, like Jessica said, from the intern level now to to mid level, anyone with a fresh perspective, I feel, is 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 game for uh, for entering a new entering a new company or entering a new sector. I think it's one of the same, and um, design your way out. I feel I feel like now is is kind of the the moment of period of time where creativity kind of takes off, just because of that. that we have nothing else to do but design and or, or work on our brands or work on our business. And um, now more than ever, I feel like the time is of, of the essence and, and there's an ample of it. So um, that and utilizing resources where you can and uh, researching um, where to find vintage clothing online, that I, there's, there's, there's a few options, Depop, eBay, um, grill that that can be utilized to to bring new life to to pieces and and really design out your vision and bring a new perspective into the into the industry and I feel like that's what the consumer base is going to look for that those novelty items the the handcrafted items uh, um, I feel like that's going to be at the forefront instead of um, big companies with big supply chains continuing to to pump in fast fashion. Thank you, Johan. Amalia? I would say use this time to hone your skills. If you have something in your closet that's not fitting correctly, maybe that elusive shirt, I would put it on, pin it on yourself, see what's wrong, and just experiment. This is time that we don't, we would have never had and we'll never have again. So just hone your skills, use it wisely. Thank you. So with that, um, everyone can feel free to turn their microphones on so that we can have a free-flowing conversation. We're going to jump in uh, to a Q&A. You can either go ahead and, and just jump in or put your question in the chat and we'll move towards it. Uh, the first question, and we're going to try to keep the answers to about 30 seconds each so uh, that we can get through as many as possible. But the first question that we have um, is going to be regarding Clandestina, your partnership with Google Cuba. How did that start? Um, where has it taken you? And it's sort of, it's a very unique thing. And I, I think um, it's become one of the more interesting things to watch for us, just how that's, that's come together. So a little bit about that would be great. Well, it started with a, with a poster of a T-Rex eating an um, optic fiber cable. I did that poster back in 2014. There was no internet in Cuba. So it was very frustrating to be a designer, to try to work, to get in touch with family, friends, to, to, to get out there, you know. We live in an island, so water everywhere. Our only chance to connect with the world is to try something else. And we didn't have internet. And people from Google Cuba were working maybe as, as long as, as back as 2014 to try to improve the connection in, in, in Cuba. Uh, this is a very small team and a very unique and um, special team of three people. So they saw this poster. They thought it was very funny and amazing. And so we started like a more like a friendship you know and and we were aligned in this common ground which is uh, the future of cuba the progress of cuba 
So it was very organic, um, this collaboration. And, um, uh, and it, started, it started with the, with the dinosaur. So the collaboration was mm -hmm. all about the dinosaur. How that mean, what that means and, and what means uh, to be like a dinosaur in, in modern society, what it's like to be uh, in, in 20th century in Cuba, feeling like a dinosaur, that sort of thing. I wanna add like, uh, right now, Havana Club, which is a room, room, no? Sí. Is um, like knocking on our doors and they want to make like a, a collaboration. And we, we have this special collaboration with Google and it's really a good, pattern for us because it was really organic. We shared like this idea about the future and this idea about the no internet and then the design and and the uh, technological technological like company then they, they, they find something like they can come together. And with this Havana Club people we are really telling them we want so like a bottle of rum or something because we need to create something more organic and to understand our community and our brand. So what I wanna say is like, for us, it was really special, this collaboration, and it creates like a way of thinking about how we can do partnership with other companies uh, when they have nothing to do with our sector, which is fashion or upcycling. And with this, with this Havana Club people, we are trying to rebuild like they have many staff like for promotion, you know, like aprons and, you know, teasers. So we are create. I mean, we want to create like kind of collaboration based on this garment and in this, um, this card, like promo, old promo. So the point is how you can do a partnership with some, someone like has nothing to do with you and suddenly you find something like, okay, this is the way, like, because we are in the same line on this. No, because I want your money or... Huh? Yeah, that's this. Yeah, this is the idea. I don't know if you get it. No, that's, that's great. I know uh, you guys know that the Canvas team is a fan of Havana Club. <laughs> we still have our, uh, our bottle in the back. It's empty, but it's... We have, like, <laughs> we have like four bottles in the back right now from the last time you guys brought us from. Um, so with that, we're going to get that. that actually. That's, that's some good quarantine content. <laughs> Indeed. Um, we're going to open it up for questions now. If anyone wants to jump in, um, Island School Capstone Project, now would be a great time if you guys want to ask anything. Um, one of our questions was about like any business permits or licenses that you guys needed to get and if there's like specific if there's like different ones for each business or if there's like standard ones i would say um jess you're you're coming from the nonprofit perspective right and um clandestina is in a very unique position in, in cuba so maybe johan and amalia regarding starting a business in the u.s you guys could probably provide I currently have a sole proprietorship, which is really easy to obtain online. And it gives you a tax EIN number, which you can work buying wholesale textiles in my case and hardware. 
and it opens up a lot of doors as far as places you can work with and platforms you can work with. So I would recommend that. Yep, that EIN number it seems to be the key to obtain um, anything business related and um, to collect taxes, the government needs that number. So the sole proprietorship is, I feel, the, the, the route to go and it's, it's pretty straightforward. It's a pretty straightforward online process. Thank you guys. Um, so we have a question in the chat here from Ali. Ali, do you want to go ahead and, and ask or would you prefer that I read it? Yeah, let me come on here. Sorry, I was sewing, so I didn't want to like be distracting. Um, I'm just gonna read it. Okay, well, probably mostly for minus us, but um, maybe Amalia too, or anyone else. Um, how do you think about growing your brand when you're doing upcycling? Because I do upcycling too, and um, each piece I create is like a one-of-a-kind art piece, kind of like you were saying um, at minus us. Um, so sometimes I have, I lose steam with like continuing to like pump out new stuff every time. And I try to think about how I can possibly create more consistency or like, um, you know, just try to make things a little bit faster or, um, or scale them. So how do you guys think about growing or scaling your business to um, like the next level? Sure, from the design perspective, I, I believe it's, it's twofold for us. Um, the first part of your question, when you hit a, a uh, dead stop or, or or there's a dead end in the road uh, we look to to sourcing things in our closet like right now I'm working on boxing shorts just because I really need some and I, I want the challenge of sewing it myself so that's been my big undertaking for, for this quarantine um, we look to that perspective for for re-inspiring us from to answer your question on scaling uh, we primarily focus on basics and essentials. And what that means is um, obviously just sourcing things that are completely blank, blank canvases that you can design on. And, or you can add your two cents on, or you can paint on, or you can tie dye, or you can do uh, what you feel fits well for that, for, for that piece. Um, another, if, if you- Your scale is mostly like, you're taking these blank pieces and you're like reaching out to a bunch of different types of artists and having them kind of like give their input with your brand. Well, um, we still with an, uh, the process would look like we sit with an artist on a call, one artist a month, and we'll, we'll go through a collection and we see if anything needs to be done to these pieces. And a lot of the basic stuff, a lot of the, the blank essentials. Um, yeah, we will, we'll go heavy into the graphic design on that just because we feel like that's the best way to, to revive the garment and that keeps things fresh from a, from an artistic perspective, just because we, we constantly want to keep innovating from the graphic design side and we don't want to limit ourselves to, to the canvas at hand, which is, which is a piece. So we, we do the graphic design first and then we'll piece it together on the garment later. And that's really how we, we design. So from a scaling perspective, yeah, we'll take we'll take these basics and we'll push out as many as we can until until we say okay, we we've, we've hit our we've hit our ceiling, and then we'll do it again with a different type of graphic on a different type of silhouette, but still keeping it in the in the t-shirt realm uh, for sake of the example. So almost like many like collections where you're thinking about kind of one group of items that you're trying to push out. 
Yeah, so more on that mini collection perspective. That's that's really how we treat. That's really how we treat things. And we don't have a big concept. We don't have a big collection. We have we focus on piece by piece, and then we focus on mini collections, and then we'll take it up a level to full collections. So just to put some context in, we start off with fifty pieces, then we moved on to to one hundred, then one hundred fifty, and then we keep it at that fifty increment just so we can keep it fresh and just so we can keep it different. Um, and anytime we feel like we're, we're at a standstill, we'll, we'll reach deep into, into different types of archives, into different types of, of silhouettes, because that's really what sparks the, the innovation, is just sourcing different silhouettes. And especially we have an upper hand here in the vintage sector because you can go into, you can find an 80s, 80s uh, slip-on dress that, that the textile is not being made anymore, the fabric's not being made anymore, and it's, and it's, and it's one of one, and you can't, and you'll rework it in a way where, where you see it fit to fit in this generation. And that's where the, I feel like that's where the excitement comes in with the team and uh, with the brand. It's, it's that innovation and the small tweaks that can make the garment relevant for, for this generation and, and, and the next. Cool. Thank you. Amalia, do you have anything you want to add to that? Sure. Um, I actually think about this a great deal because each of my pieces is pretty much one of a kind as well. And the amount I can make is defined by the amount of fabric I have. I would say a question to you, think about if this is something you, how much do you want to scale? How, in what way do you want to scale? Do you want to lose that connection to each garment? Yes, you want to make a profit and you want to make enough for the demand, but you know, maybe there's a way to do both. There, I've started working in templates of various patterns and the patch technique that I spoke to, which I make in a few different styles. And I think that instead of saying, I can't make this piece at all anymore, maybe say, I can't make this piece in this textile with this nuanced detail, but I can make the silhouette again in a different textile. Yeah, I think that's, that's good advice. I've kind of done that a little bit, but it just, um, yeah, I have that same problem where I don't want to lose my connection to like, or like, I don't want to do something that's just like a throwaway, like doesn't feel like I put my art into it. So. Absolutely. Uh, well, I mean, down yeah. the line, you can train people in the styles that you have, and then you could work with them. And it could be people like minded, maybe someone in this chat, you know. Cool, thank you. Ali, you have our full support in scaling. There are times where you come in to check on your product and the rack is just empty because they've sold out. So it's a good problem to have. So, you know, I'm working on thinking about how to grow it, but I also have jobs and, you know, it's a hustle here in, in the city, so. <laughs> um, just a note to you, Ali, and also Noor, who's, who's with us as well. Um, obviously, these sessions have become as specific as possible because we have so many variations on uh, what what the town halls can be about, but we're going to have one specifically focused on denim upcycling, which uh, we are planning to invite you guys to uh, to present that. So uh, we'll look forward to that. Um, we have Eliana making full use of the Zoom technology by raising her hand. Eliana, do you want to jump in with a question? Um, yeah, sure. One question I had was I was looking at the minus us like website and one thing that we were like struggling with is sizes because like you can't really control the sizes of products that you get from thrift stores but then 
minus us has like the same product in a size medium, a large and an extra large. So how did you like get the same product three times, I guess, or like make it in three different sizes? Yeah, so that's that's an ode to our collaboration with uh, Carhartt, Dickey, Cintas, who has dead stock, or they have secondhand, they call it factory seconds that has a seam missing or has like a little bit of embellishment on it that they resell to companies. So getting their contracts and getting in the door with them really opened the door to to those factory seconds. And that's really how we can alter sizes in, in, in some garments. Obviously it's impossible for some, but for others, we look to sample items, factory seconds, and uh, anything that we can really scrape up from these warehouses that have such a tough protocol on um, their, their finalizing a product. So they'll put it into a bucket. If this, this, this one shirt has a, has this one embellishment that they can't, that they feel doesn't meet their quality control, they'll put it in that bucket and then they'll sell it to um, us and other little providers that provide the option for um, company secondhand, uh, factory secondhand items. Mm. But that's really one way that we found to, to hammer home that, that solution. And we're always looking to, to do that just because that is one stranglehold that we face on a day-to-day basis and so when we sell out we sell out and and when they run out of sizes they run out of sizes Devin always complains to me that I never have a size so uh, <laughs> I'm still waiting on the New York sweater I know man I know and I'm, and I'm still working on it. <laughs> awesome Robin you look like you're about to pounce do you have a question your your mute is off yeah you're like you're ready to ask it is it is it is you raised his uh, hand. Oh, did I did. I, oh, wow. I do like this idea of like classroom thing. It takes me back a little bit. Um, although I was always in the back, so you could never see the hand. So they just thought I sucked as a student. It was it was a bad predicament. Uh, in passing, uh, I want to say this is great. Uh, I know I always have like a short sentence before my question, but I think it's easily forgotten too how amazing some of these things are. And I want to congratulate all the designers that are being presented today like it's incredible achievement and it sounds probably a lot easier and a lot less complex than it actually is for each one of these individuals to rise the way they have and i think that's amazing um then the nature of my job has it that i keep unwillingly i guess associating patterns to some of these discussions and two of them that i thought were really interesting today is uh is both the idea of generational divisions in the perception of all this work. And, uh, and then the idea um, of segues in profession and, and specifics. And so my questions are along those lines. So uh, for Jessica in passing, I was wondering, it, it, it kind of amused me, you mentioned the, uh, the uh, intern being that connecting molecule. So I guess a question that might seem basic but I really truly think has a value and connects to some of what Johan said earlier is um, do you feel there's really such a gap between lack of a better metaphor the bottom and the top to where it takes an intern to reconcile those two uh, portions of the pyramid 
for Johan, it's interesting because given your background, and I don't mean necessarily professionally, but at least in terms of the specificity of your understanding of mechanics and terminology and just sectors, I was wondering what you think in absolute, not even in these circumstances, is the biggest hurdle for this sort of um, bubble of, of creation and productivity and ideas and solutions to actually elevate itself to that surface of a certain control where those things are up until now not necessarily welcome and maybe even feared because it destabilizes things. So what do you feel is really that barrier objectively that, that prevents that from happening, whether it's objective or subjective? I don't know how that works. And then, because I already forgot half of what I thought about because I talked too much, um, for Las Clandestinas, I was actually wondering, so imagine, so the first question is, if you were given an unlimited budget, would you move out of Cuba and set up camp somewhere else willingly? First question. And if the question is answered by no, what is ultimately the goal for you guys? It's like, aside from the aspects that you described when you when you sit and you think about it as a i don't know if a human being is the word but as a as somebody that's putting so much work and energy and resources into this what is ultimately the end goal ideally for clandestina and then yeah thank you i i can go ahead and start just because i, I love your question and it really <laughs> hypes me up every time anybody talks about the the barrier uh, or, or the stigma, or the so-called, uh, I, I guess the, the main obstacle is getting uh, this economy of scale to be at the forefront. Um, it, it's, uh, in, in, in my belief, I feel like it's raising awareness and taking the stigma off upcycled or vintage clothing, and I feel like that's our number one objective. I, I feel like that's decentralized. When you talk about decentralizing the fashion industry or moving the fashion industry, I feel like it's it's it comes the product comes at the forefront, and if there's a large amount of audience for that product, I feel like it just raises your voice and raises raises the voice of the entire movement. So it's support within the community itself, supporting these brands to push this more at the forefront. And I feel like it's it's getting there. The progress that we've seen from the '90s to the early 2000s to today. Is, has been has been ex exponential, and if you if you look at at, at the statistics published by, I'm, I'm blanking on the name, but I'll, I'll put it in the chat because I feel they publish great statistics on um, the the vintage and the upcycle market every year. Um, I'll, I'll publish it after the call, or I'll pass it on to Devin so you can share it. But the number of the number of of the market value of the industry has grown into into the billions and it's never been seen before and it's 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 it keeps it, it that that billion that market cap keeps on growing every single year and for a market as new as the upcycle and the vintage industry uh may have it as it is it's as new as it is the, the the tremendous growth in the market cap and those numbers and statistics of people buying into this has has grown without stopping or without delay. So I feel like that trend is just going to continue. So that the obstacle that we speak of is how do we how, how if if I understood your question correctly is how do we get over it? I feel like we're in the process of doing that now, and by the year twenty 
2030, I feel like the upcycled market is going to be the number two player next to luxury fashion, if, if not number one. And that, that's what I'm hearing from from industry experts that, that invest in green, um, sustainable companies. So I, I, I fully vowed to the statistics at hand and I do monitor trends and I feel like this is the most interesting one because this, this, the upcycling market has the most potential. So before we move on to Clandestina, Jess, we'll go back to you just to touch on the, uh, the, the generational gap that Robin mentioned. Also, can you tell us a bit about your background on DSNY? I think that would be super interesting for everyone to hear. Yeah. Um, quickly, before starting FabScrap, I worked at New York City's Department of Sanitation for five years. I was overseeing the city's clothing recycling program, Refashion NYC. Um, I started there as an intern when that program was just launching. They had sent a citywide mailer. Um, you can now recycle your clothing from home. And my job as the intern was to set up the process for people to actually do that and get bins into apartment buildings and get people to donate. Um, so I was there for five years and saw a lot of the secondhand infrastructure that the city has for both clothing and for e-waste. Um, and I worked with a lot of the local nonprofits. I think the main takeaway for me there was scale and volume. Um, when I left, Refashion was moving about a quarter of a million pounds every month in used clothing and textiles. Um, so just massive amounts of material and seeing how that gets moved around the city and who's processing it and how was really informative. Um, in terms of the generational gap, um, I just first like want to speak to sort of the FabScrap volunteers. Um, I am always so pleasantly surprised at the diversity of people who volunteer at FabScrap. And I think the reasons might be different generationally, but they're all finding the same points in the end. And so like definitely I think younger students, um, even like Girl Scout troops um, and sort of like the more millennial age group, um, see this as like a sustainability and long-term investment. Whereas I think some of our older volunteers see this as an economic um, choice. And it's more about like the thrifting and the, th the free fabric and less about like the resource recovery and more about that savings piece. Um, and I see that play out in a similar way when FabScrap is going into companies. Um, almost never is it coming from like C-suite that like our company's signing up for FabScrap. It's usually happening um, as an intern or the fabric team or a specific like sustainability team, sometimes marketing or a philanthropic team, but it's never coming from C-suite, but they always have to get C-suite to sign off on the cost. And so there's still a very big economic drive at the top of almost everything that has to be justified. Um, and so I don't, I think like in the same way, usually they end up meeting at the same point, but I think the reasons that they get there are different. Um, and so, yeah, I really see things in most places trickle bottom up um, in terms of change as opposed to top down with some like notable exceptions, Eileen Fisher, Mara Hoffman, even in some cases like Siri, their C-suite is a lot more involved and more directive, but that is definitely like their outliers with most of the brands that we work with and the people who are making real change happen are doing it like within their department, within what they touch and trying to like have their influence grow from there. 
is thank you by the way sorry is theory yeah. one of your clients if i may ask yeah amazing thank you so much Jess, it's no surprise that Refashion Week is where it is now, which I think is a tremendous, it's, it's, it's progressed very quickly. <laughs> it's knowing that you were the one who started it, now it makes sense. <laughs> I, I was not behind the, the week celebration that it is right. now, but I did, yeah, I definitely placed the first 600, 700 bins in apartment buildings. Crazy. Thank you. Idania and Lere? Uh, okay, um, regarding the question about budget, uh, sometimes Cuba is not about budget. You can have millions of dollars and you can not bring any textile to the island because you need a permission. So if we have an unlimited budget, I think we should move to other markets like the state and also like Latin America, I think is a even Europe. I think the message of clandestina is like really about like Cuban design and Cuban way. And I think there is like, uh, there are people outside Cuba, they really are aligned with these values. And there is a real conflict between Cuba and the states in this case, and the capitalism versus socialism or whatever. And I think the design is the way like we can create like a bridge and we can catch like uh, the attention and the, and the, I don't know, from clients all around the world about these values. And so I think we can have a budget. We should, I mean, I don't know, we will start like producing in the States. We have like, like, different ways of doing upcycling with teasers and we've been doing some testing in the States in South in North Carolina and I think we can really produce but uh, I don't know I think we, we we will start like to to sell abroad like to invest more money on you know clients abroad and also maybe we make a party huge party one million party <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, yeah, uh, ultimate goal. And our ultimate goal, um, I think in Cuba there's nothing about like fashion. There is not an industry. So we've been growing this industry on these past five years. So our ultimate goal is to keep like building this and put the, the Cuban design in, in, the, in the world, you know, so far. So our goal is to grow a brand together with other brands and to put like our way of living through design in the world, something like that. Thank you guys. Which On I the question of where you want to take this, you know, that, that headline regarding global domination, can you speak to that a bit? <laughs> This is yeah. Uh, we have an army. <laughs> you really do. I, when we were opening a store in Antwerp, just to give everyone a sense of how how large the clandestine global community has really gotten, we got job applications from people that found out about the canvas living in Belgium uh, through clandestina. So that's the reach of of this global domination community. 
Robin, is there anything well, you want um, to add to that? We are with your kid. No, I think that the, the idea to create a bridge and the idea to connect uh, uh, in the first place all Cubans that are, you know, around the world. And despite, uh, you know, the conflicts and, and, and many issues that we have that uh, break us apart, we also have many things in common. And I think that's our mission, you know, to find those things we have in common, to find the things that can unite us as, you know, not, not as a country or as a piece of land, but as a culture and as a culture that has positive values to, to share with the world. So I think uh, that's kind of our mission and that's kind of our, um, uh, you know, the thing we like to do. So it's, it's a global domination in a way because it's just spread that and you hope that it reach, uh, uh, you know, that good energy, that sense of humor, that resilience and, and, and never giving up, which is really important. And we would like to think that we can spread that somehow. So that's global domination. To the point of global domination and, and clandestina, really having a, a pretty loyal community. I actually have one of your posters above my bed and it's my favorite piece of art yeah. in my apartment. That's cute, thank you. You know, Benacua, come to Cuba, Tegan. I am coming as soon as I possibly can, trust me. This is yeah, the- Yeah, uh, we're going to New York too. You can swap places. I'll take your house and your dog, and you can come take my house and my dog. Robin, did you have something you wanted to add? <laughs> no, not at all. Sometimes I forget the organization of this setup, and I feel like we're all in a coffee shop. No, and, that's, that's uh, what it's meant just, to be. It's really meant to be yeah, a yeah, but coffee I, shop. It's so. just funny how Tegan expressed the follow-up on the global domination expressed by the clandestinas, and I'm like, I, I think... That's the beautiful danger, quote unquote, of what happens when you actually make things and inject soul in them, is then you just want to buy them all. And ultimately, that's what art is about. Like the fact that she has one poster that is her favorite and that somehow it came to be on her wall by clandestina existing and pushing those aesthetic values is just crazy. Like it, it sounds simple, but the beginning to end process where that poster is in that room is what this is all about. And I think it's great. I think it's, it's super encouraging and, and this may sound basic, but it's kind of beautiful. It's cool. I like it. Just put a pen in the spit. Yeah. Thanks, Robin. <laughs> Thanks, so, Robin. Yeah. We will. Uh, we'll start to wrap up unless there are any more questions. Awesome. Well, um, this was a, an hour and a half straight of Zoom, and I know we get very tired easily zoomed out. So we really appreciate everyone making the time and, and being here. Um, and especially to Jess, uh, Johan, Amalia, Idania, and Lede uh, for making the time. We will be back at it again next Thursday at 10 a.m. for a conversation on media and sustainable fashion.
Um, it's going to be led by Alvin Wicker, who is the founder of EcoCult. Um, so we'll have more on that very soon. Um, thank you again, everyone, for coming. And we'll have an audio recording uh, released very shortly of this conversation. So um, have a great weekend and, and talk soon. Bye-bye.